Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Thursday evening where we continue our reflections into uh, the richness of the gospel text that we will hear uh, this Sunday, this 14th Sunday of Ordinary Time, that will have us considering uh, the rejection of Jesus at Nazareth. Oh, there is so much there. But before I go to that gospel and reflect with it, I do want to welcome all of you out there who are listening, just not locally and uh, within this state and country, but abroad. It it is always a humbling thing for me uh, to look at the grid that I see from one week to the next on who is listening. Uh, So again, I welcome all of you. If you are from the countries of Brazil, uh, Canada, Mexico, Argentina, Chile, England, Portugal, Spain, France, Italy, in uh, India, Egypt, and uh, many countries in Africa. It is um, an awesome thing to be able to journey with you in this great gift that we've been given in our uh, Christian and Catholic faith. And so uh, with that, as I welcome you, I do want to um, encourage you to send me your questions. I have been getting a number of questions about a number of different things. Uh, Just continue to send those questions on their way. Again, go to uh, j-h-o-l-l-j-m-j at yahoo.com, or you can go to my website at joholcraft.org. Just hit the contact link button there and send your uh, email on its way. And if it's not a question, if you just have an observation uh, or anything, that is on your heart to share. Please just uh, send it on its way, and uh, hopefully we can advance in dialogue, because my dear friends, it is about the dialogue. It is about the willingness to ask the question. One of the things that we see today in the year 2015 is this neglect of inquiring about the stuff of God. It can happen to any of us, really. We get just so focused on ourselves and what we need to do that we don't open ourselves up. But this is the challenge before us, to inquire about the stuff of God each and every day, to advance in a deeper understanding of God with those around us. And again, it is an awesome privilege to be able to journey with you again in this great gift that we have in our Christian and Catholic faith. Okay, all of that being said, let us turn our attention to the gospel that we will hear uh, this Sunday. This has us in the gospel of Mark, chapter 6, verses 1 to 6. He went away from there and came to his own country, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get all this? What is the wisdom given to him? What mighty works are wrought by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his own country and among his own kin and in his own house. And he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands upon a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Mm, Amen. Uh, 
just a quick footnote before we jump into our uh, principal themes here. As it relates to uh, brothers and, and his sisters, uh, the Greek there translates uh, cousins and relatives. Uh, they are not siblings from the same virgin mother. The Greek there, adelphos, cousin, relatives, uh, kinsmen. Okay, just wanted to make that point clear. Now, as it relates to this gospel text, when Jesus was already popular and famous because of uh, his miracles and teaching, he returns one day to his place of origin, Nazareth. And never forget, my dear friends, always keep in your rearview mirror. When you hear the word Nazareth, don't let this pass you by. The Hebrew word for Nazareth also translates branch. This is widely significant to the first century reader. Why? Because of the great prophecy in Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 to 11, where this branch will shoot forth from the stump of Jesse. What is meant by that? Well, (laughs) Jesse's tree was a stump because the 12 tribes were fractured. But yet, in that great prophecy, a branch will shoot forth. And from that branch, the Holy Spirit will nest. So in the first century, when you heard the word Nazareth, if you were paying close attention, you would also hear the word branch. And if you heard the word branch, what would be ringing in mind and heart was that great prophecy. So very important. So he returns to his place of origin, that is, Jesus of Nazareth. And as he did, he would teach in the synagogue. However, this time, my dear friends, there was no Hosanna. There was no entheos, enthusiasm. More than listening to what he was saying and judging him accordingly, what do we read in this gospel? The people began to engage in inappropriate considerations. Where did he get this wisdom? He is not studied. We know him well. He is the carpenter. He is the son of Mary. And they took offense at him. That is to say they had a problem in believing him because they knew him too well. And what was our Lord's response? A prophet is not without honor except in his own country and among his own kin and in his own house. Now, what is meant by the word prophet? Huh? The Hebrew word literally means to bubble forth as from a fountain, hence where we get the phrase uh, to utter. Huh? We have a couple of other Hebrew words that translate seer. As a whole, when we think about a prophet, we think about God's messenger, God's mouthpiece. In fact, we use the phrase, don't be a big mouth or don't be a bad mouth. That is a phrase that actually has its origins within this context of prophecy. Why? Because if you were speaking prophetically to the person around you who did not want to hear the message, you were a big mouth. So God's mouthpiece. The prophets in antiquity, my friends, were seen as the immediate organs of God for the communication of his mind and will to men. You know, the whole word of God may in this general sense be spoken of as prophetic, inasmuch as it was written by men who received the revelation they communicated from God, no matter what its nature might be. So often today we think of prophecy as something exclusively defined as the foretelling of future events, and certainly that is a function of prophecy. But the great task assigned to the prophets in the Old Testament, whom God raised up among the people, was to what? 
to correct moral and religious abuses, to proclaim the great moral and religious truths which are connected with God and which lie at the foundation of his governance, if you will. Today, we need prophets who foretell the future, certainly, yes, but also those who are willing to boldly proclaim the truth of God. We need to be God's mouthpiece. We need to be a big mouth, if you will. Okay, let us have a clear understanding of what we mean to say when we use the word prophet. You know, my dear friends, some of us recede from speaking prophetically. Why? Well, because there will be accusations, because there will be persecution. But remember what our Lord said in the opening of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. If you speak my name, you will be persecuted. We need to lead with Jesus Christ in everything that we do. If we are followers of someone, let it be a follower of Jesus Christ. We must always be reminded that the Catholic Church, in her teaching, will never win a popularity contest. If we are all about what is cool, what is in, what is the latest fad, in effect, my friends, we are missing the essence of Christianity because Christianity is about bearing witness to the truth that transcends the latest fad, what's in, what's cool, what's now. Again, the Catholic Church is never going to win a popularity contest. This is why, from one week to the next, as we've treated Pope Francis uh, on Tuesday evenings, you've heard me say it is only a matter of time where people will come to understand Pope Francis for who he is, where people will come to understand what Pope Francis is actually saying, not what people want him to say and not what people present him to be saying as they take him out of context. No, but what he's actually saying because what he's actually saying is not what they want to hear. And in time, they will come to see what he is actually saying, what his papacy is actually about, because that is a man who is not concerned about winning the popularity contest. And oh, by the way, he's coming to us in September. And get ready. I think many who have fallen in love with Pope Francis for all the wrong reasons might get a surprise. Just might get a surprise. Okay. So let us get back to the heart of this gospel. This gospel teaches us something else that is very important, that Jesus leaves us free. What do I mean? He proposes his gifts. He does not impose them. That day, in face of the rejection of his fellow countrymen, Jesus did not give way to threats. He simply what? He went to another place. He has far more respect, my dear friends, for our freedom than we ourselves have for one another's. This creates a great responsibility. I have talked about this ad nauseum over the course of recent months and certainly over the last year. With love comes freedom, and with freedom comes great responsibility. Huh? St. Augustine once said, I am afraid of Jesus passing. Why would he say that? That he might pass without him realizing it. That he might pass without being ready to receive him. Are we ready to receive him? Or are we too caught up in what people are thinking? 
what is so foundational, my dear friends, to our transformation in Christ is that great and overarching principle of being ready, being disposed, like Mary was when the angel Gabriel came to her. Don't be confused. When she said, how can this be? I know not man. She wasn't doubting. No, she was questioning in its truest sense. She was seeking understanding. She was predisposed. She had that interior attitude of faith. She was saying to the angel, I know you're going to do this, but how are you going to do this? I know not man. She possessed that interior attitude of faith, which is to say she trusted God. She was simply seeking understanding. Do we trust God? Do we allow God to work in our everyday life? Or does Jesus just pass us by? Huh? Father Cantalamesa, the Italian theologian you have heard me speak of in the past, says, you know, his passing is always a passing of grace. You know, this passing by, we speak to technically as actual grace. In baptism, we have been given sanctifying grace, this singular grace that gives us the power to just not cry, Abba, Father, but in doing so, actually believe that God is doing something great in our lives. You know, this whole Jesus coming home, this is a fascinating thing to me when you start to really think about it critically. I mean, you've got to believe that his hometown folks listened ever so attentively to his teaching because, my dear friends, they would have heard about the miracles he had performed in other towns. They're probably asking the question, what signs would their hometown boy work on his own turf? But as we've noted in today's story, <laughs> Jesus startles his own people with that seeming rebuke that no prophet of God can receive honor among his own people. And this is why we see the people of Nazareth taking offense at him and refusing to listen to what he had to say. They despised his preaching because simply he was from the working class, a carpenter, a mere layman in their eyes. Jesus could do no mighty works in their midst because they were closed and disbelieving toward him. I mean, if people have come together to hate and to refuse to understand then they will simply see no other point of view than their own, and they will refuse to love and accept others. Does this sound familiar to us? In so many conversations today, there are so many people out there preaching tolerance as the greatest virtue, and in doing so, they refuse to listen, and at once in their very action proclaim an intolerance. This is why we need to pray more fervently. We need to pray with a greater conviction that God works on hearts, of course, always starting with our own. The more we pray, my dear friends, for our own conversion and for those around us, the more the power of God will bust through that intolerant nature of tolerance. And by that, I mean that unwillingness to actually listen to the other party, huh? Now, it's interesting. In Mark, our Lord's visit to his hometown is found not at the beginning of his ministry, but after a long period of preaching the gospel and healing, even after the talks on the parables. 
and the resurrection of Jairus' daughter. In Matthew, Jesus has already pronounced his address on mission to the 12 apostles. So what was the meaning of the people's questions about Jesus in Mark's account that forms uh, this Sunday's gospel? Those questions, where did this man get all this? What is the wisdom that has been given to him? What deeds of power are being done by his hands? They might have well just said what? Who do you think you are? Jesus sees the question about him corresponds to a deeply possessive attitude. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and therefore one of us? You belong to us, and therefore you must do for us all that you are able to do. We own you. Huh? This verse, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his own kin and in his own house. Jesus appears to be resisting this possessive attitude manifested by the people. The people of our Lord's native place were suffering from a particular form of blindness. It's fascinating, my friends, to see that his own people couldn't recognize the holiness of Jesus because they had never really accepted their own. They couldn't honor his relationship with God because they had never fully explored their own sense of belonging to the Lord. They couldn't see the Messiah standing right beside them because he looked too much like one of them. Until we see ourselves as people beloved of God, miracles will be scarce. And the prophets and messengers who rise among us will struggle to be heard and accepted for whom they truly are. The deeper we go in our personal relationship with Jesus Christ, the more the Holy Spirit will open us up to see how God works in extraordinary ways in our very ordinary life, and even from the most unexpected person. Why? Because if we have learned anything in the Christian faith, let it be known that God is unconventional. Huh? God is very unconventional. What's more, in today's gospel story, Mark tells us that Jesus was amazed at their unbelief. His own people were initially filled with admiration in him and pride because of him. His message of uh, freedom and liberation was marvelous. And then they recognized this young prophet as one of their own. One of them. And they say, is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary? You know, the most Severe critics are often people very familiar to us. Maybe it is a member of our family, a relative, or neighbor who we rub shoulders with on a regular basis. Just pause and think about it. <laughs> I have been in many conversations where that very point has been made by another person. They struggle with it a great deal. But my message to you this evening is simply this, my friends. See this struggle as a gift. See this relationship as a gift where God is calling us to go deeper in our faith, that he wants to reveal something about himself for our sake, for our salvation. Remember that conversion never stops. Life is about gradual transformation, going deeper into the heart of Christ, allowing God to work more and more and more in our life. Those relationships is where God works in our life, and we need to be ever-present to that. The people of Nazareth refused 
to renounce their possessive attitude toward Jesus. When possessive love is present, it produces a violent reaction. We don't respond, we react. We don't discern, we dive into it, we devour it. This sort of reaction provokes many dramas within our own circles, lots of jealousy and fruitless passion. It's interesting. If you were to go to the Gospel of Luke, they took offense at him and they were filled with rage. They actually sought to kill him. In Luke's version of the story, what we are reminded is that refusal to open our heart can lead to outrageous extremes. We behave in ways we could never imagine we would behave if we allow those passions to fester, if we are constantly reacting and not responding, if we are constantly devouring a conversation and not discerning the conversation. Very important. Today's gospel warns us to be on guard against these possessive attitudes that lead to this behavior I am talking about. These attitudes that are incompatible with the example of our Lord. We cannot forget, my dear friends, that Jesus is the Savior of just not our local village, our local town, our local city, or even nation, but the world. Remember what the word Catholic means. It comes from the Greek word kataholike, which literally translates universal, because God's covenant with man is universal. In order to approach and imitate Jesus, who is the sum total of beauty, the sum total of uniqueness, the quality and virtue of magnanimity is necessary in our hearts and minds. That is to say, that virtue that arouses the goodness that abides in man's heart. The opposite and enemy of this great virtue is what? Envy. Envy is that fault in the human character that does not recognize the beauty and uniqueness of the other. Envy denies the other what? Honor. Honor. We want this. We want that. We don't see our brothers and sisters in Christ as created in the image and likeness of God and appreciate them for all of their unrepeatable goodness and unrepeatable character. Another key piece that I think our Lord wants us to see as we reflect into this gospel. Envy no longer sees because one who is envious has his eyes nailed shut, blinded to one's own beauty and the beauty in others. Envy, my dear friends, inevitably leads to violence and destruction of self and of others. In order to approach and imitate Jesus, who is total beauty and uniqueness, the attitude of envy must be acknowledged and at once banished. We must seek that great virtue of magnanimity, where the Spirit of God dwells within us and brings out all of the uniqueness of who we are. I've said it once and I can never say it enough. There's only one Joe Holcraft out there and you're listening to him. <laughs> Thank God there are not two of us. And whatever your name might be, whether it be uh, Chris Johnson or uh, Shelly Jones, there's only one Chris Johnson or, or Shelly Jones. And each and every one of us are a part 
of the beauty of the body of Christ. Let us seek out what God is asking of us, that the bloom of who we are might indeed blossom. So again, we turn to this great virtue of magnanimity. Why? Because, my dear friends, it lets others be free. For the other person must become great enough to be an image of God's beauty. Magnanimity arouses the desire in each and every one of us for the other to receive the greatest possible satisfaction and happiness that rightly belongs to the other, to that person. Magnanimity is that virtue which is capable of looking beyond itself, beyond ourselves. This is the virtue that grants the other what oneself perhaps bitterly lacks and can perhaps even rejoice in the other's goodness, greatness, and beauty. I love this virtue because it really is the virtue that allows us to rejoice in another person's success, that allows us to rejoice in the great achievements that are around us each and every day, as opposed to dwell on the many things we think we cannot do. No, my dear friends, God has endowed us with certain gifts, certain talents, and certainly virtues to do great things. Go to God. Ask Him what it is He wants us to do. What is that one thing, Lord, that you have before me you want me to do? Let us pray this day, this evening, that Jesus not be amazed at our own unbelief, but rather rejoice in our small daily acts of fidelity to him and our service to our brothers and sisters in Christ. May the Lord grant us magnanimous hearts so that we may look far beyond ourselves and again recognize the goodness, greatness, and beauty of other people instead of just being jealous of their gifts. My dear friends, God's power alone can save us from emptiness and poverty of spirit, from confusion and fear and from the fear of death and hopelessness that surrounds us everywhere we go. Indeed, the gospel of salvation that we hear from the very lips of Christ this day is great news because it is a gospel that reminds us of the uniqueness of who we are, and how when we do, in fact, see that we are a crown jewel of creation, we can then appreciate the wonderful jewels that surround us, those jewels being the people we encounter each and every day. Let us close with a word of prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Good and gracious God, we do give you just a special thanks and praise for the gift of your message today, the gift of the New Testament, the grace that you bring to us each and every day. We pray these things through the intercession of our mother, Hail Mary, full of grace. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for our sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you.
Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 6.30 p.m. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.